Let's just um, take a second. Michaela, would you stand up with Luke? It's been a long time coming. Time for rejoicing. Okay. Amen is right. Well, here's the here's the backstory to today's message. It's finally happened. The teenagers are asking God questions. It's getting uncomfortable. They're asking really hard questions. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for our young people to start asking the difficult, hard questions about their faith. And uh, John said, well, you know, they're asking all these questions and we need to start talking about these things. And I'm teaching this Sunday, so I get to start. But there's little, little signs that tell you you were on the right track. We had someone else... Uh, come to our connect group a couple Wednesdays and um, I got a long text from her asking all the hard questions really good ones and I thought I can't wait to dig into this so today we're digging into the first the first big one and that has to do with the difference between Christianity and all other world religions and the question is always phrased this way what makes your faith the true one and all the others false. You see, we're being accused of being exclusive in our understanding of God, and uh, that's not popular today. Being exclusive about anything is considered wrong. But the question that they're asking, what makes your faith true, the true one, and all the others false? It's a fair question. But here's, here's a starting place. All the other world religions have truth within their beliefs. There's elements of truth in all of the world religions. Because all of the world's religions are asking questions about God. And they're attempting, to the best they're able to do, to answer those questions. But there is a difference. There is a huge and vital difference between Christianity and all the other world religions. Although they all tell us something about the nature of God, you can see that in nature. The nature of God is revealed partially in nature. What are some of the characteristics of God that we see in nature? This is an open book exam. You can just start yelling things right now. What are some of the attributes of God that nature reveals to us? I'm sorry? Abundance. He's a giving God and nature provides sustenance for our lives. And he's the author of that. What else? Sorry? Living water. Water is life. And that's a good symbol of him. What else? Hmm? Faithfulness. Well, I don't know if we see... Yeah, I guess we do see that in nature because we live in a cause and effect world. Isn't it? We, you know, we take it utterly for granted, but when you do a certain thing, you get a certain result and it happens every single time. What if it wasn't that way? What if it was chaos? What if there was no predictability in it? Then there would be no life. How about power? Ever been out on the ocean in a storm in a small boat? I have. It's an utterly terrifying experience. The power of nature is overwhelming. How about majesty? Yeah, 
beauty. I mean, it's unbelievable. Goodness, creativity. It's seasonal. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. Nature tells us a whole lot about God, but it doesn't tell us enough about God. It tells us things about God, but it doesn't tell us enough about how to know God. There's a difference between information about something and experience with something. And all world religions are trying to take us, they are trying to take us to a place where we can have an experience of God because the information about Him we can draw from nature isn't enough. Knowledge about is not the same as knowledge of. So all religions tell us something about the nature of God. What, 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 else, what other nature? They tell us about the nature of God. What other nature do they all deal with? No. I mean, yes, but, but that's not what I'm looking for. People, you've got to give me what I want or I'll go on talking about my childhood. It's really that simple. Behave. Okay. All world religions are trying to tell us about the nature of God, but they're telling us about another nature too. Which one is it? Yes. Who said ourselves? 10% off your tithe right now. 10% off your tithe. Look, religions are concerned with two things, the nature of God and the nature of people, human nature. And they seek to explain both of them because there's a problem we're going to see in a minute between God's nature and human nature. They don't go very well together. There's a problem. So we're all working on human nature, and that includes our moral failure to live up to the holiness of God. You know, most of the world's religions have the same ethics. Most of us believe the same things are right and the same things are wrong. We pretty much agree on that. And even though we all agree on that, we don't live it. There's a problem. We understand what it's supposed to be and we're not capable of doing it. Most religions deal with four things. Four questions. What is God like? What is the divine nature? Is the first question. Second question is, what is human nature like? Third question, what problem does the difference between one and two create? Well, come on, people. You got God and then you got us. You're trying to connect these two and they don't connect very well. Do they? No. What problem does the difference between God's nature and human nature create? And number four, what is the solution to the problem this difference creates? That's the sum total of all religions. They only deal with those four questions. Everything else falls under one of those four questions. So let's start with number one. Let's get the Christian view of the nature of God. And the chapter we're going to use is the first chapter of the Gospel of John, which is utterly profound. He could not have made this up. It is too bizarre a story to make up. It had to be received by inspiration. Let's go through it. In the beginning was the Word. What's, what word is the word word? Used there? What's the word word? It's a logos. 
It's a message. It means a message. So let's just take word out and put message in because it's going to make more sense. In the beginning was a message. Okay? In the beginning was a message. And this message was with God. That's kind of weird, isn't it? This message was with God? Was it God's message? If it's God's message, is it with Him? How is it with Him? It's capitalized. Good hint. Good hint. And the Word was with God. The message was with God. In the beginning there was a message. God had a message. He had something He wanted to communicate. And it's at the beginning of everything. In fact, I think it was there before we existed. I think it was there before He started creation. He has a message. It's always been there. And this message was with him. That makes sense, I guess. But this is weird. And the message was God. Whatever it is is so important, it's who he is. It's him. See, the message is him. He was, oh, he. Oh, that's bizarre. This is getting multiple personality disorder time. Like again, I, get, I get the message. I get the message was with God. I get the message is God, but He was with God in the beginning. He just personified the message. It's got a message. It is God. It's with God, but it's not quite totally God because there's another He, and He's with God, and they were in the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of what? Everything that we experience as reality every day and every moment of our lives at one time didn't exist. There was a beginning to everything we consider significant. And the message was there in the beginning. God was there in the beginning. The message was with God and the message was God, but, but it's also He. There's a personification here that's taking place apart from God. But yet, they're the same message. You don't make this stuff up, people. You don't make this weirdness up. It raises too many unanswerable questions. Yeah. Though things through Him, that's the He part. Him. He. That, that part of God that was the message, but is also God, but is also another He. Everything was made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Now it gets even more interesting. In Him, the message, in this thing God wanted to communicate was life. And that life was the light of humanity. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. That's a better translation, understood, than overcome. This raises some really interesting questions for us. Here's what we can learn about God's nature from this little bitty passage. 
Just this, this part alone. This, this is what we can take from it. Number one, God existed before anything we know as real existed. What does this tell us about his nature? He was here at the beginning of our world. He is what the theologians call self-existent. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always simply been. Before there was the dimension we call time, which is the dimension we are locked into. And we experience it, whether we like it or not, every minute of every day and every moment, we're stuck in time. He is not stuck in time. He is looking down at your life, and this moment right here is your birth, and this moment right here is your death, and all of us are somewhere along. I'm getting quite close to this over here. Fortunately, many of you are right there. That's you. Enjoy. But I'm telling you, based on my experience, you don't have much time left. All right? But he's looking down, birth, present moment, your death. He is looking at this all at the same time. As you are having this present moment, he is watching you be born. As you are having this present moment, He is waiting for you to welcome you out of time when it's up. We call that death. He sees everything. This is so interesting. This is an aside I wasn't going to get into. But this is the profundity of emotional healing. Something really bad happens to you at the age of five. In me, it was four years old. Right about there. Something happens to you and it begins to shape you for the rest of your life. And you think... I'll never be able to change that. I'll never, ever be able to fix that. I will be under that for the rest of my life. And then you meet Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is you here waiting for healing. And he goes, okay, watch this. Touches it. Changes it. Because he's outside of time. He can do anything like that any time. What stupid, that's dumb. He can do anything. He's outside of time. He can change the present effect of your past by touching your past. Come on, guys. That's flat out the coolest thing in the universe. That he can do that. And I'm telling you, he does it routinely. He's done it in my life a number of times. A pain so great, an internal pain so great, that I thought I would never be free of it, and it shaped my life. And the Lord said to me, this is in the 90s, He said to me, I'm going to come, He said, soon I'm coming to you with raw power. And that pain that you've been living with in your emotions, in your heart, is going to go. And I said, I doubt it. And we had a good relationship, so I could tell Him the truth. I said, I just don't see how you're going to do that. I said, I don't care, though. I'll give anything for that if you just do that. I said, soon I'm coming with raw power and that pain is going to be taken away. And about three weeks later, we were in Toronto at a conference. The pastor was speaking on brokenness in the life of a leader. The characteristics of brokenness in the life of a leader. And he's going and I going, got it. Got it, got it, 
got it. I've got two of those. I'll trade you two of those to get rid of one of those. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And, and by the end of his message, I thought, if he has an altar call here, I'm going forward for prayer. And then I thought, I don't care. If he doesn't have an altar call, I'm going forward for prayer. And he finished his message and he said, there's some leaders here who... And I jumped up and ran. And a guy beside me jumped up and ran. We were the two first people standing in line like, oh God, you've got to heal my broken heart. And, you know, you get in the I will receive posture. You get this beatific, godly look in your face and you open your hands to receive and you're just like, God, please do something. And this old lady comes to me and I've got my hands out like this and she doesn't say a word. She, it's the strangest thing. She takes her fingers and she puts them in the palms of my hands like this. And then she starts to pray in tongues. And I'm thinking, oh, great. She's not even going to pray for me. She's just muttering away. You know, like, like this is going to do anything. And then, and I'm not exaggerating, this electricity starts shooting through my body. And it's so strong, I start convulsing. Like, I'm like this. I'm kind of shaking, kind of bouncing as I'm being gracefully electrocuted. <laughs> Seriously. And this goes, on, this goes on for about five or six minutes and then this thought crosses my mind. I'm being electrocuted. This is raw power. This is raw power. And three weeks ago, he told me I'm coming soon with raw power and your pain is going to be gone. And I thought, this could be it. The electrocution went on for another 10 to 15 minutes. I was just fried, absolutely, like this. And when it's, it just stopped instantly like that, and I realized I don't hurt inside. I don't hurt inside. This is the first time in years I haven't hurt inside. That pain never returned. That was 20. It never returned. I mean, it was like, it never returned. I can remember sort of what it felt like, but I can't really because it, he just reached down and did that. I don't know why I told you that story, but it's a good one. In him is life. And that life was the light of mankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. God existed before anything we know is real existed. He is the beginning of everything. He is self-existent. He has no beginning. He simply always was. He exists outside of time. He, he is eternal. And we call this the otherliness of God. He is utterly and completely distinct from his creation. He can be understood in part from his creation, but he is absolutely distinct from it. And using the rules of creation and the rules of science and the rules of logic, you cannot come to know him because he's not in the creation. He made the creation. Therefore, you cannot use the creation to come to him. You must come to him apart from that because he is what the theologians call transcendent. 
He transcends everything that we understand. He is beyond our understanding. He is perfectly infinite. His qualities are without end. They never started and they will never end because they always were. Do you get this? What this means in practical terms, no matter how hard we hunger to know Him, we can't. We can know some things about Him, but we can't know Him because He is outside of everything we understand is real. He is transcendent. He is above and beyond everything. He is utterly and completely otherly. This creates a problem for religion. How do we approach a God that can't be approached? That is beyond our understanding. And religion is the art of ritual and rules to make us feel like we can know God and become acceptable to Him, like there's something we can do to get there to the unknowable God. That's religion. That's what all the world's religions are involved in. And it doesn't work. It won't take you to that destination because that destination is outside of our reality. Is this, are you getting this? Because it's a hard concept to explain. But it's the truth. He's transcendent. That's the first thing we take from this passage. Second thing we take is he has a message. Even though he's transcendent, even though we can't really understand him, he's still got something he wants to say. And it's going to be really hard because we can't understand him. But he wants to communicate to us This message is so important. He is the message. God is the message. And he can't be understood because he's transcendent beyond the terms of our reality. He has a big problem. And so do we. How is he going to explain himself to us? How is he going to make himself known? In some way, we can understand him. Because we can't understand him. But the message is a person. The message is a person. This message is a personality. It's also God. Through that message, everything was created. And this message, all in all and all by itself, incomplete, this message is life. This message has the ability to impart life. This message has the ability to impart truth at such a level that it becomes the illumination and the full understanding of everything that is for us. It gives our life purpose and meaning because this message is life. And without it, we might think we're living, but we're not. We're existing. Living begins when you know life and have life and are being transformed and illuminated by that life. This message is life and it is the understanding of all people. It's the understanding for our people, all people. This message is a person that is God and he shines into the darkness of confusion of our life. And the confusion hasn't understood it, but he's still shining, and he's going to continue shining until we get it. 
What this is telling us is God's hard to understand. How could he not be? He's all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, outside of time and infinite in all of his characteristics. And this is the heart of the problem for religion. We're all trying to understand and know a God that is outside of creation, incomprehensible to our finite minds. All religions have some idea of what he's like, evidenced in creation, but actually knowing or relating to him is not humanly possible. And this is why he sent the message. See, here's the problem for us. God is essentially a foreign language we do not speak. He's communicating, but he's a foreign language and we don't know. Uh, you know, how many of you speak Swahili? A couple. How many of you speak French? A few more. How many of you speak Spanish? Well, we all fake our way through that. <laughs> bueno. Bueno. Muy bueno. Estoy muy fraud. <laughs> Mi español es fraudulente. God is a foreign language. But he has a message he longs to communicate. So how did he do it? He translated himself into a human language that we can all understand. He took divine nature, his pure divine nature, and he expressed it in human nature through a human being. You see, Jesus, this is such a miracle. This is the most wonderful thing about him. Jesus is everything a human can be in God. But he's also everything God can be in a human. He's this perfect translation of God. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. But he's in human form. He's in a language that's huggable. You can hug him. You can hold on to him. You can look into his eyes. And when you look into his eyes, you see the eyes of perfect love. You see the eyes of God. The light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he became father. He gave the right to become, he gave us the right to become children of God. Children born not naturally of human descent or human decision or husband's will, born of God. It means born from above. It actually means the very nature of God comes into us and reproduces itself in our humanity. He is the message in a human language we can understand. And that message from God is, I want you as my child. I want you as my child. I love you as my child. 
the word became flesh, the message turned into humanity, and he came and lived with us because he's one of us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. You see, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now listen. Now listen. Here's, here's the whole point. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him there's the translation. There's the language. Now translate. Jesus is the only way to God because only Jesus made God comprehensible in a human language being our nature, us. And it isn't just unique because he illustrates God. It's because you can have a relationship with him. You get to know him. And he knows you. And it starts now, but guess what? It's eternal. It's never going to end. He's infinitely wonderful, and you get to spend eternity with infinitely wonderful. And infinitely wonderful gets better every day. You think when you get to heaven you know everything about God? You're an idiot. <laughs> You're all idiots. You're not going to know everything about God. You're going to begin knowing God and every day is going to get better than the last one. Every day is going to be a greater understanding of what He's really like and a greater perception of His love and experience of His love. And it never ends. It just gets better and better and better and better. It's not fixed. It's not static. Because God's never static. God is dynamic. He is always doing something wonderful. And you are going to spend eternity with Him like that. And everybody else. You're going to drag this community in with you. And you're going to think, I know these people. No, you don't. You don't have a clue. You're going to get to know each other like you've never known each other before. In the perfect presence of God. Grace. Grace. This is the second distinction between Christianity and all other world religions. It is the concept of grace. I was at a dinner party years ago in Canada when I was a lawyer. They were all non-Christians except me. And there was a bunch of us there around the table and we got into this discussion of what separates Christianity from all other world religions. Kind of like this. And uh, I was trying to explain it to them. I had a friend from law school, brilliant woman, and um, I was trying to make a point about Christianity and how different it was, and she just interrupted and said to the people, you don't understand. Christianity is different from every other world religion because Christianity has within it the concept of grace. And I thought, 
She nailed it. She understands. She was a witch, by the way. She was into witchcraft. Brilliant woman. But she got it, you see. She didn't accept it for herself. But she said the difference between Christianity and every other world religion is that God reaches down to you in Christianity and takes hold of you and all the other ones are scrambling to get up. That's, that's, that's it. Grace is that you never deserved any of the blessings you're living in and you never deserved to know him. You, you, and you tried to earn it, but you can't. And that's what Moses did. He gave them the law because they rejected an intimate relationship with God at Sinai. And so the law came down and they've been living under it ever since. And all the good of the law is, the law is only good for one thing, to tell you how worthless you are. And that you don't have a chance of knowing God because you can't do it. You're not good enough. Once you believe that, you're ready to receive God. You got to have that first. You don't have that first. God, what's the point? I don't need God. Grace. See, all the other world religions require that we keep rules and rituals to better ourselves until we achieve the perfection it requires to be acceptable to an infinitely perfect God. That was a good sentence, wasn't it? All other world... I'm going to do it again because I really liked it. All other world religions require that we keep rules and rituals to better ourselves until we achieve the perfection it requires to be acceptable to an infinitely perfect God. The rules and rituals may vary somewhat from religion to religion, but the principle of self-effort and self-improvement to earn God's approval and acceptance remains universal in all religions. Yes. Christianity is the only exception. We are not scrambling to improve ourselves. It's pointless. You can't eat. And here's the worst of it. Let's say you, you succeed at bettering yourself. And the result then would be pride. Yeah, pride that God hates the most of all things. I bettered myself, so God, you should be very thankful to have me. And God's going... Ah, a little budding Pharisee. And you know how much Jesus enjoyed life with the Pharisees. Now look, this concept of grace, this idea that it isn't by your efforts that you improve yourself to become acceptable to God, that it's going to be His sovereign work that did it and you simply accept it or you don't, this idea of grace is either very good or very bad news. Depending on how you see yourself. You see, for some, grace is an insult. They reason, and how many times have you heard this? I'm a pretty good person. Compared to really bad people, I'm really quite good. I don't need God's unearned forgiveness. He should just accept me for all my good qualities and good need, deeds. I don't need a Savior. I've heard that a lot. But that's just not true. Because remember those four points of religion. God is perfect and good. Human nature is not. This creates a problem. What's the solution to the problem? Those are the four points of religion. You see, some people, get this, there's some really sick and twisted people, some Christians included, 
who really like religion. They like a religion in which they can take credit for their good deeds. It appeals to their pride. Their pride says, look how I have improved myself. God, you should feel blessed to have someone like me serving you. That's the Pharisee. But for others, grace is the best news. For many of us, we're always aware of our inside sins. Not a day goes by that I'm not confronted with my inside sins. And we know that we can't change ourselves to become compatible with a morally perfect God. Believe me, I've tried. We need to know His forgiveness. And for us, grace is the most wonderful and amazing thing of all, and it always takes my breath away, and I'm just shocked over and over and over again at His patience and kindness and love and gentleness towards me. And we become people who serve God not to obtain His love, but because of it. There is the difference. We don't obey because we're earning His love. We obey because of His love. And that's where Jesus comes into the equation, the grace equation. Moses gave law. Jesus gave grace. No other world religion gives us both grace and truth and a knowable, relatable God. Christianity gives us a knowable, relatable God we can understand and have a relationship with, and we don't have to earn it because he made it possible, and we couldn't anyway even if we tried. Now, this religion called Christianity is unique. There is no other world religion that does this. Guys, isn't that just the best news? <laughs> just like, this is so good. This is so good, it's almost ridiculous. Well, actually, his love is ridiculous. It makes no... In, in the created world, the moral universe, his love just doesn't make sense. It's ridiculously extravagant. It's totally... Ri- There's no point. He shouldn't have bothered. He shouldn't have, you know. Like, really, Lord? Seriously? You love us? You love me? You need your head examined. You need counseling. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he can help. I talk to the Holy Spirit when I need counseling. Maybe you should too. Our faith is unique. And it's wonderful. And we don't deserve it. And that's what makes it so wonderful. We don't deserve it. He's so lavish and absurd with his love. I was hoping that we would end early enough to have a Q&A. So questions and concerns or comments about all this. What does this make you think? What does this leave you wondering? Yes.
So um, Judy's comment is that in Jesus is illustrated the sacrificial love of God, where he's willing to give up himself for his creation. And do, does any other world religion have a sacrificial God? I don't think so. I'm just done running a quick check going through them. Um, Judaism, which is, of course, our roots, so it's a bit hard to separate them, but it has Isaiah 53, the tradition of the suffering Messiah that gives himself for his people. So that's consistent as a world religion. But all the others, I don't think so. And that's another hallmark of how... They, yes, good point. The other religions require a sacrifice. In ours, he is the sacrifice. There's a huge difference right there. Good point, you guys. Good point. Anything else? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Her question, she, she said, if what I'm saying is accurate about God being outside of time and looking at our life as a progression, seeing every moment, does, his, does the fact that he can see everything happening at once negate our free will? It's a really good question. Uh, and um, C.S. Lewis had the best answer I've ever heard. And he said, it's a matter of perspective. Um, C.S. Lewis posited you're on one side of a, of a fence and there's a knot hole in the fence and the fence is high you can't get over it and there's a parade coming by eh, maybe it's the July parade or maybe it's Christmas or Easter or something there's a parade going by in the street but you're on the other side of the fence and there's a knot hole in the fence and you can look through there and all you can see is what's happening right there you can't see what's coming and you can't see what's gone by. You're just seeing this present chunk of maybe 15 or 20 feet or something. The fact that you can't see all of the parade, you can only see a bit of the parade, doesn't mean that you're controlling the parade. You're just watching it. Just because God knows what you're going to do doesn't mean you're free. You're not free when you make the choice. We're still morally free to make whatever choices we want. It wouldn't be a real love relationship with him if we weren't free. He sees to it we're always free. But, he, but here's, the, here's the cool thing about God. <laughs> we were, were talking about this in our Wednesday night group uh, last Wednesday night. Most people think the Christian life has your moment you become a Christian and the moment that you die and it's this perfectly straight line to heaven and they call this God's will God's plan for your life the path okay and we all see the straight path going forward to heaven like job one stay on the path job one stay on the path don't screw up the path the path is anointed the path is a thing stay on the path don't mess up just stay Mark stay focused Keep your eye on the path, right? Like that. And that by being a good Christian and staying close to him, the path just goes perfectly like this. Have you ever taken a small dog for a walk? 
We take Peanut for a walk every day. It is the most annoying experience of your life. Because I want to get the, 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 uh, the walk over with so I can play computer games or something. I mean, you know, I, I don't... I, but her... No, she doesn't go for a walk. She goes for a sniff. So she's off here. She's off here. She's off here. We're being dragged all over the place. This is just ridiculous. We all think that the Christian life is like this straight path to heaven. We are that small dog. We are so easily distracted. We're off the path every few seconds. And we go way over here and we screw it up and we think, oh my God, I've blown God's plan for my life. This is a disaster. I'll never get back. And God goes, bonehead, come here. Yes, Lord. And he leads us back to the path and then for about two or three days, I'm going straight on that path and it's great. And then I wander over over here on the other side and mess it all up. And he said, come on back. Come on, come on. Get it back. Okay, here we go again. It's not a path. It's a zipper. Oh, it's, it's the little thing on your singer machine that says, the little zigzag. It's a zigzag, people. It's not a straight path. And, you, and stop thinking you screwed everything up because you made a couple of boneheaded choices. You didn't. The coolest thing about God is He's watching your life and He sees this major screw up here. Oh, what a stupid decision. And God goes, what a stupid decision. Now, if I... Uh, bring this person over here at that point to say such and such. And then this person over here I bring in just after that, about a week later, to say such and such. And then I have this person invite them to church. Um, We can get them back in the path in about a week. Job done. And then, of course, you come and life's going great for a little while, but then you fall into doubt because you're an idiot. You're just an idiot. But you're God's idiot. And you wander off again, and then and he gets you and brings you back and does... He's Look, some people think God's creativity is best expressed in nature. I don't. I think God's creativity is best expressed in how he fixes our mistakes by moving things around on the chessboard to get us back to where we're supposed to be. That's creativity. Because nature does what it's told, right? We don't. So he's got to be super creative to get us back on track. But he's doing it a billion times every day. He's, he's repairing these mistakes all the time. And, and, and you're not even aware of it. Well, it was sure a lucky thing that I ran into so-and-so. I really needed to hear that. No, it wasn't luck at all, you idiot. He brought that person to you because you needed to see that person. And then crazy, 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 he uses you the same way in somebody else's life. And you're not even aware of it. It's all going on behind the scenes. Every once in a while you get a hint. Does that help? I thought it did. Oh, I've got four more minutes. Come on, guys. I'm really having fun. Give me one more. Yes. Righteousness. get out of that okay it's a good question question because it happens to all of us all the time this whole legalistic thing this works righteousness like it really is my job to earn my salvation and it's like my my mentor once said most christians view the christian life like this god paid the membership fees in the golf club but you pay the yearly dues see and that's not true he pays the yearly dues and the membership that's grace. 
So, so your question is, how do you get back to a grace perspective when you've so easily fallen in life, into life under the law? Because like it or not, life under the law appeals to our pride. Okay, we really like feeling like, look what I did today. And we'll take the glory when we can. And that's kind of sick. So how do we get back under a grace perspective when we've fallen off and and gotten under the law? Um, Should get a copy of Mark Coppersmith's book, Is God Religious? And you should probably... He's a great author. He's my favorite author, actually. Um, It's called, Is God Religious? And, and you read it about once every six months, and it will help you. And I'm not being, I am being silly, but it, I'm not being facetious. We need to be reminded of the grace message over and over and over. Pretty much daily you need to hear it. You really do. Just get it as much as you possibly can. And tell one another that. We're to remind one another of our faith and the tenets of our faith. So... Let's, let's make grace something we think about and talk about and remind ourselves of. And if you're in a marriage, remind him because he needs it. Yes, he does. And we remind one another in our friendships and we season everything with grace. Does that make sense? Good. Yeah. Say that again louder. When I get into his presence, then it breaks me of that thought that I can become what I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. You brush up against real holiness and you don't look so holy. Yeah, get in the proximity of real holiness. And you, you, the first thing, that, the worst of it isn't, do you remember what it was like? Like before you were a Christian, you thought you were a pretty good person. Somehow you stumbled into a relationship with God and then he started shining this billion watt light bulb into the dark corners of your heart and you saw dead rats and mice and all sorts of stuff in the corners that you didn't know was there and you're overwhelmed how, by how disgusting you are. That was my experience. And he keeps shining the bright light and I keep seeing more dead rats. But that's wonderful because the conviction of our sin can turn into the greatest celebration of grace. The awareness of my brokenness and that he loves me anyway is, how, is, is the measure of his grace. And the closer we get to him, the closer we get to what is absolutely true and beautiful and wonderful And that lets us know we're not, but it's okay because he loves me and he's accepted me. Remember what I said in communion a couple of weeks ago? Two deep desires in a Christian's life. The first one is God accept me as I am. The second one is don't leave me this way. Our brokenness reminds us don't leave me this way. And his grace says, I've accepted you anyway and I'm at work in your life and I'm transforming you as we go along. But you're transformed by your gaze at him, not by your gaze at yourself. When we focus on our own brokenness, we reinforce our own brokenness. When we focus on his wondrous grace and love, we're transformed by it. From glory to glory, Corinthians, from glory, as we gaze upon him, 
We are being transformed measure by measure by measure into more of his character within us. So just stay, just enjoy him. Just enjoy him. And you'll be transformed by that relationship. Okay. Prayer teams, why don't you come forward? And if anybody came here today with any kind of need, any unanswered prayer, or you need some grace, Yeah, do it. When Mark was talking about how God is outside of time and we're in time and he can reach back into your past and touch your heart in a moment where you need healing, um, I felt like at that point of the service there was an invitation there. And you may be here today and when he said that, something came up, you know, and you were reminded of that. So <clears throat> I think as we, as we worship right now, Prayer teams, yeah, they're going to be up here praying uh, uh, with you. But why don't we just come to the Holy Spirit right now? And I would invite you to come down front here and allow God to do that very thing and to touch that spot in your heart, that spot in your life that you need healing in. That burden, that pain, that experience that has that you've been carrying all these years that has maybe given you that sort of guard, those grave clothes, that unworthiness that you bring into church with you or bring into your daily life and you're working for God's affection, let him take that off and heal you of that and put on this garment of praise and put on the blood of Jesus which cleanses you and heals you and makes you brand new as the word says. Do you guys want to do that? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good invitation. Let's do it. Yeah. So come got, down front. Just just come Let's on worship. up and we'll lay hands on you and pray for you and bless you with grace. Good man. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Let's stand to our feet. And uh, again, that invitation's open. Don't don't uh, hold back. If you really feel like that invitation's for you, be bold. Step out. Come down front. We love you. God sees you. He wants to heal you.